Amen. And happy Father's Day. So good to be with you this morning. Wish I could be face to face with you, but this will have to suffice today. Uh, We're having this conversation about uh, change and transition. Last week, we noted that change is what happens to you. Transition is what happens inside of you. And the series is called Life After College is Weird because we're partnering with our emerging adults so that together we can understand how can we make the transitions inside of ourselves that allow us to face the inevitable changes that so oftentimes feel weird. And it is weird right now. We might ask ourselves, you know, if social distancing becomes our new normal, what transitions have to happen inside of us? If we're going to join Jesus in his uh, ministry to our neighbors, what has to happen? transition inside of us in order to join him? If we want social justice in America to be a new normal, what has to transition inside of us? Uh, if we want to honor our dads today or pursue more closeness, uh, maybe even reconciliation in our families, what needs to transition inside of us? So today, uh, we're thinking about transitions in the context of friendship. Let's think together about friendship. The series title uh, comes from the New York Times, a series of articles in 2018. And one of the articles was titled, um, So You Can Only Afford to Live in a Shoebox, How to Make It Feel Like Home. As you read the article, it turns out friendship. Friendship is what makes a house a home, right? And in the article, there um, We meet two young women named Katie and Kate, and they meet each other on Craigslist. They move into a little apartment in Charleston. Neither of them has family nearby, and so they become each other's source of of emotional, relational support. And the refrigerator gets decorated with all the pictures that they take from their nights out uh, together. Friendship. It's what makes a house a home. And uh, really, home is not about a where so much as a who, right? It's not where do you live, it's who are you doing life with? So who are my people? That's the question we're raising today. It's actually one of the three big questions that uh, emerging adults have to wrestle with. Who am I, who are my people, and what difference do I make? Who are my people? It's a question not just for emerging adults, but for those who are are submerged uh, mid-career, or those of us who are Uh, in the autumn season of life, feeling sort of shut in and alone and um, missing friends who are no longer accessible or even present. Who are my people? Well, um, we've been gathering with a team of experts each week in the series, uh, some of our own emerging adults here at UPC, and it's been such a privilege for myself and Chris Thurton, who's our Associate Director of Young Adults, to sit with them and just kind of eavesdrop a little bit on how they process. So let's hear how they talk about friendship. Let's watch this clip. I think just being away from friends and not just having like the the same easy access to community that, you know, I usually have. You know, when I get hungry, I just go to a local restaurant or to the school cafeteria and I run into like, I don't know, a few friends every single time. And we just have these all these spontaneous hangouts, which is super fun. And, um, and so, yeah, after college, I will probably have a lot less of those. And I think that's uh, a little weird. Um, because as an adult, you get to choose your own path kind of thing. And so you don't have to have as many friends of circumstance. You can kind of just have um, friends that you choose. Are the friendships I had in college also 
some of them friendships of convenience, whether I lived with you or we lived in the same neighborhood or things like that. How do you pursue those friendships um, after all of the things that were quote unquote easy about those friendships, whether location or schedule are gone? It was kind of like gradual where those conversations like were ceased or it's like we weren't really conversating like we used to. Um, but it wasn't until that conversation we had in person when I'm just like, wow, like we just our values are so different and like they've changed now given the couple of years that we've spent apart growing in separate places. Maybe there'll be like a conflict or um, something where you suddenly realize like, oh yeah, my friends are different and I don't necessarily resonate as much as someone with someone that I used to. Especially like us college students, like they're all temporary. Um, Whereas like when you have a home with that somewhere someplace somewhere where um it's a constant and like you always have that place and um sometimes that might not look like your parents home my my freshman year dorm for example it's like oh this guy could he'd kill me in my sleep i don't know (laughs) 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 there just wasn't that that trust so uh, yeah i think that's like the biggest thing okay i'm glad miko survived that you know what i'm hearing in all that is change a lot of change And so what transition has to happen to negotiate that change? Well, let's get answers to that question from the New Testament. Let's look to the Bible. This is always our source of authority. And uh, we're going to eavesdrop on the conversation between St. Paul and Timothy, his younger uh, friend and uh, ministry partner. And uh, what you need to know about the context of this is that Timothy's social network is changing. If you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, the remnants of that correspondence that we have in the, in the canon, uh, you'll see that Paul is talking a lot about the people in Timothy's life. He talks about Phygelus and Hermogenes, just ahead of what we're going to read shortly, Onesiphorus, Demas, Alexander, Mark, Hymenaeus, and Philetus. Apparently, Timothy was good at pronouncing names. And all these people are in his social network. And Paul is saying, you know, these are some of the people that were friends of yours. They're not really your friends. And, or they're sort of fading out of friendship. And then there are other people that may not be on your friendship radar that are kind of emerging. And you need to pay attention to all of that. And most of all, you need to pay attention to what's going on in you. Because with all of those changes, the big change for Timothy is that his closest friend for the last 15 years, Paul, is now in jail. He's at the end of his life. So what needs a transition? Well, let's uh, eavesdrop, as I say, uh, and pick it up at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. We're going to throw it up on the screen here, but you could also open your own Bible. It should help you follow along. If you'd like, as an act of worship, you're welcome to join with me like we do when we're physically present and read the text aloud from any translation, but I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're hearing or reading the word of the Lord. In a large house, there are utensils, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for special use, some for ordinary. All who cleanse themselves of the things I have mentioned will become special utensils, dedicated and useful to the owner of the house, ready for every good work. Shun youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Love, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. So what do you see in this little paragraph that we just read? I see two things, a picture and a pursuit. 
a picture and a pursuit. Let me talk about those. First of all, the picture. Paul begins, uh, in, in a large house, and what I notice is he's speaking for Jesus as Jesus. Remember the way Jesus would speak with analogies or parables? Here comes one from Paul now, and it's, it's a house. It's an image that's familiar from the teaching of Jesus. Actually, remember Jesus said, a wise man built his house upon the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew. That's Jesus. Also, he said, a house divided against itself will not stand. That's Jesus. He also says, in my father's house are many rooms, and and that's Jesus. And so now here comes Paul speaking for Jesus in a large house, he says. Now, just like with Jesus' little riddles, we want to know, what is the house? What's the puzzle here? What is the house? Well, it's a large house, so this is a person of prominence. Um, We can see that there's gold and silver utensils, so this is a a person of wealth or stature. We also notice that there are Um, folks, servants who do the bidding and uh, the will of the master here. So this is somebody of influence. And we begin to think, maybe this is God. Okay, it's in the Bible. It's probably God. It is God. This is God. This is God's house. And also, there's another part of it, isn't it? The utensils. What are the utensils in this um, little riddle? Well, uh, we're told there are different, there's two contrasts actually between materials, the materials that the utensils are made of, and the purpose, the purpose uh, for the utensils. These are different. So you said there's kind of two sets of these things. Uh, first, there's a distinction of material. You find gold and silver utensils, Paul tells Timothy. This suggests utensils that are rare, they're valuable, they're lasting. And then you find uh, wood and clay, which suggests utensils. Uh, they're common, that are easy to find, and that are transitory. So that's the you know, material distinction that's there. Also, there's a distinction of purpose. In our translation, it says special use or ordinary use. Some translations say some are for, for honor and some are for dishonor. That's a little closer to the, language, the original language Paul uses. It's different purposes, honor, dishonor. And I think Paul's thought here seems to be that, um, you know, if you have things that are made of wood and clay, you, 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 you use them in the kitchen uh, or the lavatory, someplace out of view. But when you have things that are gold and silver, well, you, you, know, you bring those out for the formal occasion. You put them on the dining room table in the great banquet hall, and, and it's, it's goblets and platters and bowls and all of that. And they're for honor. Why do you do that? Because you want to honor the people that are there. And most of all, they become an honor to the owner of the house. The silver and the gold, they reflect the beauty and the hospitality uh, and the love of the owner. Uh, so they, in that sense, they honor. That's the purpose. That's their special use is to honor the owner of the house. But what are they? If the house is God's house, what are the utensils? Well, we see in verse 21 that they cleanse themselves. You know, Ann and I have lots of dishes around our house, but she reminds me that none of them will cleanse themselves. So that tells us that uh, these are agents. These are like uh, dishes that could cleanse themselves. These are, I, what comes to my mind is Disney, again, from Kimberly, um, plates and candelabras dancing around the table. These are living utensils, right? Like Mrs. Potts or uh, Lumiere dancing uh, in Beauty and the Beast. But so we understand that, okay, these are probably people. This is probably us. So this is the picture, Paul says. Uh, we have a house, God's house. And then it's filled with, with people, with, with us. Picture this, Timothy, Paul seems to say. You're inside of a house, 
God owns everything. You're there, and these other people are there. Philetus is there, Crescens is there, I'm there, you, Timothy, are there, your friends are there, potential future friends are there. This is a house of spiritual friendship. That's what the picture is. It's a house of spiritual friendship. Now we get that picture from the first two verses, uh, verses 20 and 21, and then there's verse 22. Now the, the scene shifts a little bit. We're not getting a description of the house anymore. We're getting... Uh, an, an imperative or an instruction. It's, it's actually a pursuit. So let me talk about the pursuit. He says the pursuit, the pursuit is, I would say, what we're meant to do inside of the house. This is the pursuit of what I'm calling spiritual friendship. Before we look at that in detail, let me just ask, you know, what, it, what, what, it, what do I mean by spiritual friendship? What is spiritual friendship? And I would immediately suggest that, you know, it's, you could find different words, but it's, it's friendship in this house. It's friendship in, in the presence of this particular owner. That's spiritual uh, friendship. My own definition is this. Uh, spiritual friendship is when two people choose to befriend one another. Two people choose to befriend one another in the presence of Jesus for the sake of God's honor and his purposes in the world. That's spiritual friendship. I like uh, what Gregory Jones says about it. He says, spiritual friends challenge the sins we've come to love, affirm the gifts we're afraid to claim, and help us dream dreams we otherwise would not dream. That's, that's a pretty good definition. But you know, Paul says it best. And let's look again at verse 22 to hear the words he uses. And this is describing the pursuit. Shun youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, I say if it weren't for verse 22, we wouldn't know that this is a house of spiritual friendship, that that's what's on Paul's mind when he gives this uh, picture. But now when we get to verse 22 and we read about the pursuit, we know, ah, here, this is a picture of friendship because inside this house, Paul wants us to pursue these things, shun youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, faith, love and peace, along with, these are the friends, those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So this is spiritual friendship. Notice, Paul to Timothy in the context of change isn't like change your friends. It's not like get a whole new friend set. I mean, sometimes we do need to change our, our, our friends. But really, his focus is on transition. I want to talk to you about the pursuit, and it has to do with who you are and what's happening inside of you and inside of those whom you befriend. So I'd like to walk with you through these three transitions in verse 22 and just unpack them a little bit so we can see what they might look like in our lives. And the first one is this, pursue transitions in your passions, your passions. Paul begins, shun youthful passions. Now, just notice shun. Some translations say flee, walk away from, get yourself away from. And it's so like Paul. We oftentimes miss this. In order to get to a better place, we have to leave a familiar place. That's hard to do. Transition is intrinsically hard because we're, we tend to be much more aware of what we're losing than what we're gaining, right? Even though it's something better, we don't want to let go of... Um, a, an unwanted familiar thing, even to reach out to an unfamiliar wanted thing. So there's a level of intention around just like shun, flee. 
And what is it that we're to shun? Well, we're to shun youth, what he calls youthful passions. Now that's a broad term and there's a lot there, but let me just focus here on the, the, what I think is for the most natural understanding of that. In the original language, the, the phrase that Paul uses there is immature desires. Immature desires. That is the desire for friendship to be easy. Oh, shoot, it's not going to be easy? No, no. You're going to have to grow up, Timothy, Paul says. You're going to have to work hard if you want high-quality, rewarding friendships. You're going to have to walk away from the desire for friendship to be easy. And as someone who's done campus ministry for 30 years, I've watched 30 classes of graduates jump into the weirdness of this transition, and I see a lot of temptations. It's just too easy to kind of stick with your college friends, even though they're not around anymore, but to kind of connect there and get stuck there, or maybe get stuck with one person, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and just try to allow them to meet all of your social needs. Or or, or it's also too easy to um, avoid to avoid the hard stuff of relationship, conflict, or the need to go deeper. You know, we, conflict is just part of healthy relationship, but if we don't grow up and handle a relationship in a mature way, when we hit conflict, we just move on, right? Peace out, I'm over. And then we're just like a, a stone skipping across the waters, having one superficial relationship after the next. And that is so dangerous. Plus, I don't want you to ha- have that. Or the other thing is we get confused. We confuse intimacy for other things. It's so easy to kind of get stuck behind a screen, particularly these days with COVID, and confuse um, my friends on the shows that I like on Netflix or uh, my uh, people that I, whose posts I see in, in social network or pornography, to confuse any of those things with intimacy. That's real easy. It's a quick fix or whatever. It's the illusion that I'm in relationship, but I'm really not. And so Paul says, you know, Flee youthful desires, the need for relationships always to be easy. Grow up and do the hard work. Be, be, be ready to do the hard work. This is a huge transition. Notice the materials of the utensils. We know that all people are the same in God's eyes. God loves us all, thank God. But not all relationships are the same, right? I mean, you know, you have uh, relationships like gold and silver that are that are rare and valuable and lasting. And then you have other relationships. I mean, just think about your, your friends over the years. You have others that are kind of common and easy to find and transitory. And Paul says, like, go for the gold. But, but it's going to take something inside of you because those relationships, they take work and patience and perseverance and endurance and grace. Flee youthful passions. That's the first transition The second is pursue transition in your character. Paul says, shun youthful passions and then pursue. Here's the pursuit. Well, that's so cool. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, what are these qualities? Well, this is the character of the owner of the house. Right? That's what he's saying. This is who, this is the who of the house. In this house, it's all about righteousness, faith, love, and peace. I mean, it's the who of the house that has drawn us into the house. It's the beauty of, of the owner that's drawn us here. And it's the beauty of the owner. It's, it's our purpose to reflect in the house. And so this is the character you want to start to see developing in your life as a friend 
inside this house. Now, what we learn from Paul and other places is that these are linked, right? That righteousness comes from faith and that faith produces love and that love results in peace. You see what he's saying? So if you're reading Paul, you go, oh my goodness, what he's talking about is Jesus. These are the things that we find in Jesus. These are the things that Jesus offers us. So really what he's saying is pursue Jesus. Pursue our Savior. And the insight for a relationship is that you attract what you pursue. If you go, man, all my friends are just crummy. They're all these superficial people. (laughs) Well, Paul's like, can I hold up a mirror? Because if your friends are superficial, I wonder if it's because you're being superficial. But on the other hand, if you're pursuing what's really valuable, if you're pursuing Jesus, you know, however ham-fisted or inadequate your pursuit might be or you might feel, you're going to start to attract other people who are pursuing the same character in their lives as well. This is the essence of friendship, this, a, a pursuit of something in common. Let me just sh- share briefly how I think about friendship. It's likeness and difference together. For example, Ralph Waldo Emerson writes, friendship requires that rare mean or average betwixt likeness and unlikeness. He's saying this is just part of friendship. It's like there's something similar and something different. And that's, that's kind of what pulls friends together. C.S. Lewis in Four Loves, he says that lovers are face to face, but friends are side by side. Uh, lovers are face to face, but friends are absorbed in some common interest. So there's something they share in common that they, they're pursuing together, but there's, in, there's a difference about them. And that's part of what brings friends together. When they find each other and they identify that common thing, Lewis writes, they say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And there's, the, and there's the friendship. So here's the interesting thing in the context of what Paul's talking about. When what we have in common is Jesus, like not the mariners or music or whatever, but Jesus, then every other quality can be different, which makes life in this house really, really rich and interesting. You see, this house is full of difference. I really love this. There's no sense in this, in this parable that there's anybody outside the house. Everybody's in the house. People who are different you know, uh, materials, uh, people with different purposes, different experiences of the owner. They're all there. It's a big house. There's lots of difference here. And I'm kind of reminded of the houses that Jesus hung out in, right? I mean, think about the people in those houses, really different characters in there. Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, Bartimaeus, Levi, I don't know if, you've, if you know these friends, but as you get to know them and read the Gospels, you realize, oh my gosh, they have nothing in common except Jesus. And this is kind of the way it is with Jesus, right? Male and female, whoosh, rich and poor, whoosh, sick and healthy, whoosh, pious and the profane, whoosh, come on in here. But they share in common as a pursuit of Jesus and this character that Paul describes, righteousness, faith, love, and peace, These are your people, Timothy. This is the answer to your question. Who are my people? These are your people. People who are pursuing character. And as you pursue character, you're going to attract others who are pursuing character. You know, this is the great thing about UPC is you see this as a member of our community. I mean, maybe it's a little bit hard to see at this moment because we're shut down. But when we gather again, you're going to see the beauty of this. Man, we're young and old. We're 
artists and jocks, we're black and white, we're short and tall, we're Republicans and Democrats and everything else on the spectrum. And everything else can be so different because the one thing that's so important to all of us, in fact, most important to all of us, is Jesus. We're pursuing Jesus. And it's in a community like that that we find people who will challenge our thinking, people who will provoke our growth and character and help us with these transitions, right? So Paul's saying, go for that. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Well, there's a third uh, transition Paul's commending to Timothy, and it's this. Pursue transition in your identity. The text goes on, shun youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and then along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Along with those, these are the friends, who call on the Lord from what? A pure heart. Now, for Paul, a pure heart is a new heart. You have to understand that about him. This is, this is a new identity. When I read this text, you know, as a young believer, I used to cringe because my thinking was, I don't even know if I'm in this house. All these beautiful people, you know, who, who are living with the same things I aspire to but can't seem to experience in, in my life. Um, man, I feel like they're gold and silver. You know, they're in the penthouse and I'm in the outhouse, right? Do you ever feel that way, that everybody else has kind of arrived and just better than you? And so I, I thought, I just know, I'm like, the, I'm like the clay here. I'm like the wood here. I'm like a few sticks or dirt here. Um, that is not the way this text works. I was reading the text wrong. What I was missing was verse 21. If you've got your Bible, go back and look at verse 21 again. Because here, Paul says, all, or the ESV says, anyone, anyone, anyone in the house, everyone in the house who cleanse themselves of these things, I have mentioned, will become special utensils. Notice the word become. Become. That means there's a new you. There's a new identity in this house. This is a house of transformation. It's not a static house. This is a dynamic house. Nobody comes into this house, meets the owner, and stays the same. That's what Paul's talking about here. But I wish the translation were a little bit different because that, that phrase, pure heart, in verse 22 and cleanse, uh, the cleanse heart in verse 21, it's the same phrase. It's, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's really a reference to the new covenant promise that's in, in the Old Testament, in the prophets. For example, in Ezekiel, the Lord says, I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We see this repeated throughout the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3, Hebrews 10. I will remove the old heart, the heart of stone, going to take that out, and I'm going to put a heart of flesh inside of you, my heart inside of you. That's, I'm just, it's, a, it's a transplant. I'm going to put my heart inside of you. That's a new center of desire. That's a new operating system. Uh, that's a new identity. And this is what happens as we come into this house and we come to know the owner of the house. And this is really the, the gospel story. This is a, the, the story of this house. God took on a human heart so that we could have his heart in Jesus Christ. Uh, God entered into the house as a human being so that we could be a part of this divine family. It's amazing. This is the, this is the music I think you would hear. If you could walk into this house, you'd hear people singing, uh, particularly in the great banquet hall. They'd be sitting at the table. They'd be telling the stories of the owner of this house. They're calling on the Lord from this new heart, and they're, and they're singing about his grace. And they're so grateful to you, God, for, for 
for saving us, for transforming us. And what did we deserve? Nothing, but what have you given us? Everything. And there's such joy in, in, in this house, right? This is, this is who we are because of, of the new heart that we've just been given in Jesus Christ. It's a new identity. So, so Paul's saying, in terms of friendship, Timothy, I want you to find someone who has that music ringing in their ears, right? You just can't stop singing it. You get the earworm. That music stuck in their hearts. Find it and then listen as they sing it to you. Listen when you're, when you're so ashamed of your sin, when you're stuck in that shame. Listen when you're overwhelmed by fear. Listen when your heart is heavy with sorrows and griefs. Because it happens, you need to have a friend in your life who sings this gospel to you, who sings to you of your new identity in Christ, and you sing that to them, and then live out of that new heart. This is spiritual friendship. Okay, these are the three transitions. Passions, character, identity. Now, I want to suggest to you spiritual friendship is so powerful, it can change a neighborhood. I got a text early this morning from Pastor James Broughton. He's getting, we're both getting ready for worship in our different contexts, and he said, hey, George, happy Father's Day. And I thought, oh my gosh. I said, you know, isn't it so great to lead God's people in worship today, to worship our great Father? And I realized, you know, what God is doing in Kindred is, is he's bringing this community into his house and, and shifting our understanding of ourself and our engagement with the city around us. And it's making a difference in Seattle. And I believe anywhere where we call on the name of the Lord, it would make a difference. I just think about what a difference it would have made if spiritual friendship had showed up two Fridays ago in Atlanta at a Wendy's, where we meet Garrett Rolfe and Rayshard Brooks in the worst of circumstances, right? Rayshard Brooks is shot in the back. Now, if they had been paying attention to these transitions inside of themselves, they would have, just let me run through this really quickly, they've been doing the hard work of friendship, right? Their passions. What does that look like? I want to refer you to a friend of mine who preached a great sermon last Sunday, uh, Herman Hamilton. I posted on Facebook if you want to find it there. I highly recommend you listen to it. He's the pastor of a multi-ethnic congregation in the Bay Area. And he said, let me, let me just tell you, I want to say something to those of you who are white. Um, first, he says to you, those of you who are African-American. In, in this context, you have to do the work. Here's what the work of friendship looks like for you. You have to overcome your skepticism because you know, you, you've you've heard this conversation before uh, we're going to make change in America, but you know, you're just exhausted by the whole thing and there's, you're skeptical anything is ever going to change. For you, the hard work is overcoming that skepticism and joining the conversation again. And then he says, let me say to those of you who are white, he says, you also have to overcome some skepticism because it may be that you've never ever experienced racism and systemic injustice is just not an experience that you have. And so you're a little bit skeptical even whether it exists. And the work of friendship for you is to overcome that, to, to, to listen and develop empathy and really understand another person's story. So, you know, give up the desire for this thing to be easy and actually dig in, do the hard work. That, that's a first transition. The second transition about pursuing Jesus together. I mean, wow, what would be possible if these two men, with everything that they have that's different, economic, social, cultural, whatever else, if they had Jesus Christ in common and their most important common pursuit, character, Maybe this is why Dr. Martin Luther King said, I dream of a future America where we don't measure one another by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. And then, the, you know, the third transition, living out of a new heart or identity. Yeah, I mean, 
man, I, we need new laws. We need to reform in America in all kinds of ways. But one thing that law can't do is change your heart. And that's what we ultimately need. And it's only possible through what God has done in Jesus Christ, a new heart. So I, I think if these two transitions were happening in that, in that, in that friendship, Man, that Friday night at a Wendy's would have been so different, so different and wonderful. And it makes a difference for our emerging adults too. Uh, let's take an, another just couple minutes and loop back ag again, finally, to our panel of experts and see what spiritual friendship looks like in their lives. Let's watch this clip. There's a difference between um, shaping God around your relationship and shaping your relationship around God. And mm. so I think... For me, it's really about making Jesus the center, regardless of whether or not the other person is a believer or not. I think that if you continually let him into that, it does affect the relationship. Um, begun to understand the importance of surrounding myself with people who can challenge me, people who can hold me accountable um, with my walk in Christ. Um, people who can um, sharpen ex and expand my, my mind and the ideas that I have. With uh, my friends who are believers now, we're constantly talking about like, and genuinely with intention, like, how are you doing? Like, how is this season in your life going? Um, and wanting to talk through that with one another. And I'm still learning of just like allowing myself not to give pieces of my life to God, but like absolutely everything. Um, and that is so hard because as did before, I'm a control freak. I'm the best friend to other people when I have a constant connection with God and when I have that quiet time and that solitude and um, I, I'm able to get into the Word regularly. Um, and when I'm not, then I'm just grouchy and, you know, I view the friendship as, like, transactional and it's just, like, very shallow. And so, yeah, I, I mentioned, like, God's been teaching me depth in the relationship with that. Depth really just stems from, yeah, my relationship with God. Really pursuing friendships that cause me to think differently, to um, challenge my preconceptions, to um, make and make intergenerational friendships, things like that. Um, because the more people in my life I can have that think differently, live differently, come from different places, the more I'll get to experience of the kingdom on an intimate level. We have the eyes to see her, our, our friends um, and our peers as God sees them. I love who she is and I love who she's becoming. And me as her friend, I get to see her like Jesus does. I get to see where he's taking her. I get to speak truth over her life. I get to see her gifts now and the things that I can encourage her in now so she can move towards who she, he's calling her to be, right? Through knowing Jesus, we know a lot more how to love and love deeper and mm. more like him. And I think that friendships based upon love that is patient, that is kind, that is sacrificial, um, and that is selfless, that really results in, yeah, just a different kind of friendship than if that wasn't an intentional um, thing that you're choosing to let into it. Thank you, guys. Oh, I'm so, there's so much wisdom in that. By the way, I think I misspoke earlier. That was in the upper right-hand corner, Chris Thurton, who's our director, associate director of university ministries. Well, let's wrap this up. Jesus said, no one has greater life than this than to lay down his life for his friends. 
So I have not called you my servants any longer. I have called you friends. And then he laid down his life for us. Friendship is a gift. To be a friend is to be a steward of a gift that God has given us. What does that look like for you this week? What does it mean to be a steward of the people God has put in your life? What does it mean to be a steward of your social life? What does it mean to choose to befriend one another in the presence of Jesus for the sake of God's honor and his purposes in the world? I want to ask you to think about a friend. And I'm going to read from a, an old song, just the last few lines, because um, it's Father's Day and the song is Cats in a Cradle. And to me, it's a moving song about a missed opportunity for friendship and somebody who wants to befriend but just misses the value of the friendship. And I don't want that to happen to me or to you. So maybe this would be a reminder to move towards action in your relationships this week. Think about a, a person in your life that's important to you. Maybe it's your dad, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a friend. And then if you can feel that value as we close today, I want you to ask God to give you the grace to tell them how valuable they are to you. Listen to this as I close. I've long since retired and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been real nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon, when you're coming home, son, I don't know when. We'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Let's pray. Father in heaven, maybe the relationship we most need to pay attention to today is our relationship with you. It is no accident that we chose to worship you today. You, you brought us to this text, and you would be the one who's been speaking to us. How we want to grow up and be just like you. So we thank you for what you've done in Jesus Christ, the great invitation and the transformation that comes when we say yes. And we wanted to say, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the infinite time, yes, more of you in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. For your honor, Father and for your purposes in the world. Amen.